and being in Malachi, and we're in, we're in Malachi 2 tonight, as you're aware, but singing those types of songs, it's kind of astounding that we're even able to in light of, in, in light of Malachi. I think, you'll, I think you'll see what I mean as we go, but the grace of God in allowing us to be joyful and glad is remarkable. Um, first off, I tried to pare this back as much as I could. However, this might be slightly longer than it typically is, not by a lot. It won't be three hours. Um, so I will try to be mindful of the time and be a good steward of the word, and we will see what comes of that. And tonight, like I said, we will be in Malachi chapter 2. Pray with me as we begin. Father God, we are grateful that you have permitted us to be back this evening gathered as your church, and we are grateful to you to be able to have your word in our language and so many copies of it, everyone here with one, multiple, and we know that's by your grace, and we pray that as we dive into your word this morning that we would be alert and attentive and receptive to what you would have us glean from it and learn from it, from you, and we ask that our time would be blessed and that we would turn what we learn into blessings for others. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start off by reading the, the whole chapter so we can get a, a good idea of what's going on. Malachi 2. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebu rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, 
and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards your offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says to the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? We had an excellent introduction to this book this morning from uh, Pastor Garrett, and he set it up very well that it's, a, it's a di- almost a dialogue between Israel and God, and it's a legal case against Israel. And here in chapter 2, Yahweh's focus narrows in more on the priests of Israel. So, like we learned this morning, having recently been released from the Babylonian exile and having a recently rebuilt temple, one would imagine that Israel would be grateful to Yahweh and would seek to worship him. And as Pastor Garrett proclaimed this morning, that is far from the case. And in chapter, su- chapter 2, we see a number of examples of the failures of the priests. Notice first that this polemic against the priests begins with, and now, O priests, this command is for you. This is Yahweh speaking directly to those in the Levitical priesthood, but you'll notice something right off the bat. Jot it down for later. There's no explicit command given here. There are plenty of implicit commands, yes, but implicit commands, if we can call them that, but there's no explicit call to action there. I think it's intentional, and there is a command that we'll cover in a short while. Just take note of that for later. Yahweh says, priests, listen to this command. And then threatens that if they do not listen and, take the, uh, and, and don't take the command to heart to honor his name, that he will send the curse upon them and curse their blessings. Going on to say that indeed he already has cursed their blessings. This is a miserable plight to be in. However, take notice of one small word here. Yahweh says he will send the curse and will curse their blessings. And in the Hebrew, there is a definite article there. It's a specific curse. Let's read a little more and and see if we can find out what what it is. 
In verse 3, God says, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. That is horrific language. And what's the stated purpose of that? I, I, by the way, I don't suppose this is the curse, this threat. But the purpose given here in verse 4 is so that you know that I have sent this command, so that my covenant with Levi may stand. Okay, so what was the covenant with Levi? Numbers chapter 25, verses 12 and 13. Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Okay, clearly that's not happening now in Malachi, in the book of Malachi. But that was the covenant that God made with Levi. So what God is saying is that the reason he will rebuke the Levitical line and smear dung on their faces is so that the covenant with Levi of life and peace will stand. Excuse me. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you. Okay, well, how can that be the case? Malachi 2, 5 through 9. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him, gave, gave life and peace to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. And skipping down to, verse, to the second half of verse 8, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Part of the job of a priest of Yahweh is to be a messenger of Yahweh to the people. It says that explicitly in the text. These priests that Malachi, is, uh, God through Malachi is uh, rebuking, to put it lightly, they're not doing that. They're not being messengers. As, as Pastor Garrett said this morning, they're making a mockery of the temple this morning, yes, and the priesthood. For that, Levi will be despised and abased before all the people. Okay, but still the question remains, how is that going to make the covenant, of, of, uh, the covenant that God made with Levi stand? It's an easy answer. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Levitical priesthood. Through the priest's abdication of duty, the great high priest comes in. So when Yahweh threatens to smear, smear dung on their faces from their offerings... What's being communicated by God is essentially, if you don't shape up and do your job right, I will make you unclean and remove you from the priesthood and your children. 
the whole Levitical line will be made unfit to serve. Why? Because that is how God chose to make his plan come about. It seems that the wickedness of the Levites in failing to perform their duties is some sort of catalyst, maybe, that God used to bring in the new, quote-unquote new, priesthood some 500 years after that. And the shame of the Levites is that they will be removed from the priesthood and reject the high priest. To, to bolster that a little more, go back to the, the whole the curse thing. What is that? I think Malachi says exactly what it is. It's the curse. Like the Genesis 3 curse. How do I know that? How can we know that? Because the covenant with Levi was, it was life and peace. Which is what the original curse destroyed. You shall surely die, and there will be enmity between every party involved. The man and the woman, the, man, the woman and the serpent, God and man, brothers, parents and children... The curse is death and turmoil. Okay, so the Levites fail. Jesus brings in a new priesthood and does what? He reverses the curse. That's what he does. He brings abundant life and gives man peace with God. The priests that Malachi, God through Malachi, is addressing are curse bringers. They're perpetuating the curse. And that's how they've effectively nullified the covenant of life and peace. Verse 8, But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. They've corrupted the covenant of Levi, which is life and peace. With these Levites, there is no life and peace. Okay, let's discuss the command we just threw we just read through all the sec basically all the section that is addressing the priests directly and i did not see any explicit command the command i think is further along in the closing remarks of god's case in chapter 4 verse 4 remember the law of my servant moses the statutes and rules that i commanded him at horeb for all israel you remember the response of Israel upon hearing the law at Sinai? All these we will do. How did that work out? They failed. They failed, and the priests failed, and the priests were supposed to be the mediator between God and Israel that brought curse-breaking life and peace, and they failed. Time after time, failure after failure. These priests can't do it. They just fail. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ got to sit down after his work. God moves on and indicts Judah, who's been, who has profaned the temple and gone off whoring after other gods in 2, 10 through 16. And Yahweh here uses 
marriage as a picture and as a barometer or a, a, a gauge for their faithlessness to him. They're divorcing their wives and marrying other foreign women, leading their hearts astray after other gods, which for them was a spot-on indicator of where they were spiritually in this covenant with God. They're told in verse 16 to guard their spirits and do not be faithless, but we've already read that they are faithless. The man who does not love his wife but divorces her covers his garment in violence, with violence. The sin here is faith, faithlessness, abandoning Yahweh and abandoning their wives, sheer faithlessness and pursuits of self-gratification. Okay, but specifically, like, what did Judah do, right? What Judah did was mix the things of the pagan nations and the things of Yahweh, the things Yahweh had given to the Israelites, and tried to offer them to Yahweh as an offering. Israel was supposed to be, you'll remember, wholly and entirely set apart from the nations around them. Usually, when we see Israel fall into idolatry, they're just expressly abandoning uh, Yahweh and are pursuing another god. Here, however, it appears that there's a mingling of the pagan and the sacred, and Judah thinks it will be acceptable to God. Have we not all one father? We're all created by God. What's the big deal if we intermarry with the nations? It is, re is it really so bad if we bring a little of that into Yahweh's temple? This is called an abomination by God. It's happening in Judah and Israel. They're mingling the unholy with the holy. Do we try to do that? Mingle the unholy into the holy? We'd better not. Not in our individual lives, not in our families, not in our corporate life here and in the church. As a principle, purge the evil from among you applies at every level, all the time. So here's the bottom line with Israel and Judah. They are utterly faithless. They've failed in their covenantal agreement. They want to divorce God. And they are rushing to other gods. This is the condition of God's chosen people as we leave the Old Testament. Faithless rejecting their God who made a covenant with them to bring about the Messiah and life and peace. Bleak. We would do well to deal with uh, some remarks in verse 15 that are difficult, but I think will help us to see the, the big picture of redemption because it's, it is deep and it is wide. Verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. This is translated a number of different ways. I'm certain that your translation, if it isn't ESV, probably reads very differently. Um, and the Hebrew makes it a whole lot more difficult because it says that Yahweh made them one, I believe talking about Adam and Eve, and gave them the Spirit, a portion of the Spirit, the breath of life, 
so he could have godly seed. Good image bearers, right? Well, the text actually says what was, what was the one seeking? It says Elohim seed. Literally God offspring. Okay, hang on. We're not going to go into detail, but what's being said here is that God created Adam and Eve to be godlike offspring of his. Now, don't take that as the blasphemous Jehovah's Witness way. Think of it in an eschatological sense, end time sense. When you're saved, you're adopted as a son or daughter of the Most High. Yes, yes. You become a sibling of Christ himself. Christ himself talked about that quite a bit, calls himself our older brother. Hebrews 2.11 and other places make that clear. Additionally, Paul in 2 Timothy 2.12 says that if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. God made mankind to be rulers over earth in his own image, and they fell. And Israel was elected to be the vessel that would usher in the Messiah who would reverse the curse and return us to our pre-fall state. And Malachi is proving how Israel is failing in its covenant with Yahweh to bring this about. Which, amazingly, is how God decided to bring it about. So has the potter the right over the clay to do whatever he wills? Yes. Paul explains more in Romans 9. Malachi, I think, is a part of why Paul writes Romans 9 through 11, I suspect. He quotes Malachi, though they, uh, this is uh, Romans 9, 11 through 13, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's written in Malachi. The condemnatory book of Malachi is hard to read, and you can hear Paul's anguish of spirit in Romans 9, wishing he himself could be cut off for the sake of them, of his kinsmen. Because Israel was not and is not just some utilitarian's tool for accomplishing what God wanted. This book, Malachi, and this chapter in particular, are a heartbreaking but perfect set up for what the world was about to experience with the advent of Christ. It is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is done so the purpose of election might continue through Israel's sinfulness recorded in Malachi and specifically the failure of its priests, from this text, the priests, Jesus comes to redeem people from all nations and tongues as our great high priest. He fulfills the priesthood. And God chose to use the failures of the Levites in Malachi to glorify his Christ. It's all about Jesus from top to bottom. From the Garden of Eden to the covenant with Levi and the covenant with Israel at Sinai. 
God's purpose from the beginning was to have humans as his obedient children. God used Israel for a purpose, for a purpose and is done with them for the time being because of their rejection of him. And that rejection started long before Jesus ever came onto the scene. It was hundreds of years before. So their hearts were already primed to reject him, to reject the fulfillment of the scriptures. They've been doing that for, for hundreds of years before Jesus. Finally, in verse 17 of Malachi, the people ask, how have we wearied him? They have wearied him by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of Yahweh, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Which, those two, if you think about it, go hand in hand. If the God of justice is not here carrying out justice, then that which is evil must be approved of. Can you see the twisted thinking? It was, it was said earlier that Jesus sat down after his work, and when they ask where the God of justice is, the answer is, he's coming. The God of justice um, will be seen in chapter 4 when we get there, but this is Israel, this section is Israel testing God, provoking God, really. What God has called evil no one should dare to call anything else. This chapter highlights the failings of the priests and of Judah, their infidelity to God. This chapter in this book demonstrates the ways in which God decided to bring about his purposes and how Israel could not thwart them, though it tried. When read in light of the New Testament and in light of the fulfillment of so many Old Testament prophecies and in light of the offices that we see in Malachi being abused and, and not filled properly, it makes, us, it makes me at least cherish the Savior even more and should spur us to be faithful in our duties. Whatever your duties are, because I have duties, I have responsibilities that are God-given, just like everyone else here, and I do not want to hear anything like what the priests heard from God. This is always dangerous when I try to go back. But when they... I apologize, I'm trying to find where it says that it was a covenant of fear. I don't remember which verse that is, but it says the covenant that they had was a covenant of fear, and we ought to have a, we ought to have a healthy fear, even in the new covenant. There are no shortage of passages in the New Testament. We heard one just tonight, Jude. Is it verse 5? 
My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Because, you know why? When you have a healthy dose of fear of God and life and peace, you stand in awe of his name. A fear of God who gives us boldness to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel and to be a kingdom of priests. God has given his spirit who invigorates us to live faithfully. May we be faithful to carry out his commands as he has commanded. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word, and we are, I am saddened by its heaviness and for the, the plight of your chosen people, though I know you know what you are doing, and pray that we would be wise and uh, faithful in our duties, and that we would be diligent to execute them as you have enabled us to, and as your, as your spirit gives us power to, and we pray that as we go from here this evening into the world that, and back to home life, that we would be faithful to raise our children and invest in the lives of our family members, and that we would be bold proclaimers of the gospel, because we know that it, that it conquers, and that you have already won. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name.